Adoption and expensive, two words that do not always belong together. There are 120,000 children in the United States that are waiting for a forever family, and adopting through this option is extremely affordable. I'm Marcy Bursack, an adoptive mom of a sibling pair, and also the author of The Forgotten Adoption Option. Twice monthly, I will interview people like adoptive parents and adopted children who've been touched by foster care adoption. My goal is to find more forever families and increase awareness about foster care adoption. Because if it were you or me, we would want someone to do this for us. Welcome to the Forgotten Adoption Option podcast. In this episode, I am interviewing a couple who is in the process of obtaining their license to adopt through the foster care system. Ben and Emily have been married for six wonderful years, and after facing infertility, they thoughtfully decided to adopt through the foster care system. Hi, Ben and Emily. Hello. Good evening. So excited to have you both. Ben and I work for the same company, and I feel like we met when I was thrown into a meeting to represent my team, and then we hit it off, became friends, and our early conversations were about going back to school and working out. Does that sound about right, Ben? Yeah, that sounds about right. Lots of good in-person conversations before the pandemic. So fast forward, I wrote a book, The Forgotten Adoption Option, explaining how my husband and I adopted a sibling pair through foster care. Ben grabbed a copy and read it with his wife, Emily. They heartily weighed options, and now they're in the heart of the process of adopting through foster care. And I'm so excited because you are the first guest to share at this particular part of the foster care adoption journey. So I'm very excited for our listeners to hear about how this all goes in the middle of you going through it all. So let's start with what led you all to pursue foster care adoption? You know, it's something that just kind of weighed on us. Um, You know, we've been enjoying the the dual income, no kid life for a while. We do have one small dog, but um, it came time to have kids and you know, just what was supposed to happen wasn't happening, right? Uh, so you start to look at, well, what are our other options? So we went and did research. Um, Emily did a ton of research, uh, private adoption, um, fostering, adopting through the state, so on and so forth. And after weighing all of it, it kind of seemed like it made sense. The next steps for us would be to work with the state um, to try to do adoption there. And do you remember like any of the things that made sense, like what factors kind of for you were like, this is the path for us? No, not really. Um, you know, it was less about, yeah, I, it's kind of hard to say that. So, you know, you, you got your PMP certification. There's the, there's no right answer, but there, there's kind of a best answer. You know what I mean? Sure. I, and I don't think that that was the case here because obviously you've got tons of options. You can go through IVF, right? If you want to spend, uh, a boatload of money and a ton of time at the doctor and have no guarantee of any results or whatever. Um, not to mention there are side effects and other challenges with that. And, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't seem right to put your wife through that number one. Um, and all this kind of felt a little weird. Um, the private adoption I think was a solid option as well. Um, the cost of that such that it really makes me scratch my head. I, it feels like somebody somewhere is making some money <laughs> and, and that maybe that's not the case, but, but my gosh, you know, it, it, it felt also a little bit dirty. And then when you really look at it, you know, you look at the state 
you you kind of come to the realization that boy there are kids out there right now who need homes like forever homes right yeah and, and there's something something that tugs at you that like it, it feels almost a little bit selfish to go one of the other two routes when we're perfectly fine kids out there so so after weighing through all of that and talking through that we decided next steps would be to work with the state with the understanding that if that doesn't work out for us, that's fine. We still have private. We still have other things that we can do. Um, there, are, there are other options out there. Yeah. So this and, is like the path you're taking first. Oh, go ahead, Emily. Yeah. And, you know, it's just a deeply personal decision because we have friends and family who have gone through other options and that has been the number one option for them. So it's not anything against other choices. It's just for us personally, we because we have a heart for the kids that are waiting, we felt like, you know, for the first step forward, uh, that seemed like the best thing to do. Yeah. I totally resonate with the, the having a heart for the kids that are waiting. Like you, you just know they're there and you know, they're just waiting for people. So I love that. And it, so as a couple who has been impacted by infertility, cause I've heard varying my own friend network and, and family too, that have gone through that. There's kind of this reality check with yourself that you have to kind of be in a good mental space to actually pursue whatever path for adoption. And so how did you all know when you were ready to go ahead and get started in the adoption process and what advice do you have for others who might have been impacted by infertility and might want to consider adoption? Well, Marcy, we always knew that adoption would be our path forward if having our own children didn't work out. So we kind of put a timetable on how long we would give it uh, before we went ahead and pursued adoption. So we gave it about two years and said, you know what, let's just see what else we could do. And then if, you know, our own child was to come about, that's great, but we want to get moving on the adoption piece. So I would recommend setting a time frame just to not allow your mind to wander into all the what ifs. You know, start researching, um, get that information so that you know when the time comes when you both feel comfortable to move forward. You have that ready to go and you can take those next steps. It allows you to kind of mentally move on in a positive direction where, at least for me, setting a time frame was kind of like saying, I'm not giving up on hoping that something could happen, but I also want to make room for what's next. So uh, for me, that was really important. And then also just for Ben too, like he works well with time frames, So I <laughs> <laughs> thought that would be a good way to do that. Otherwise it can kind of become all consuming and, you know, starting to research just gave us a way to channel that energy and do something positive with it. I like that you call it time frames or deadlines or kind of time boxing. That that's really smart because then you kind of know, okay, this doesn't have to be forever. We can we can think about other choices, right? And you can always change your mind. Like the first decision that you make doesn't have to be the last. You can play with it, see what feels good. Um, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about what to do next or when to move forward with such and such, and you just kind of have to keep flexible. Um, because if you box yourself in to a decision and you're not ready to make that decision, then you have regret. So we tried to avoid that. It's so smart. Ben, do you have a perspective on this, on kind of how you knew you were ready to go ahead and 
start pursuing adoption? Uh, you know, the conversation of kids is, is been around for so long. I mean, it's even one of those conversations you have before you get married, right? Uh, sure. You got, you got married late. Um, so it was definitely a conversation we had before, before we tied the knot. So there's not really a, a moment where, you know, some light bulb turned on or anything. It's just, you know, you want to have kids. There's several ways to go about that. This way is not working. We'll move on to this one. Right. So good. So where are you all in the process and what steps have you already completed? So we just got licensed for foster care. Uh, we took all the Saturday classes on Zoom for the last, what seems like two years. <laughs> <laughs> Which realistically was a few months, right? Please tell me they haven't yeah. like, made that longer. <laughs> right. We have two more Spalding classes left. And then we've actually had a couple hiccups uh, with our caseworker. Uh, the one we had before is no longer with uh, the state. She ran into some challenges processing paperwork for us early on, like it should have been. So, so we're in this weird spot where maybe a little cart in front of horse actually. Uh, so they have to relook at our paperwork, have to redo some home studies. Um, but the classes, you know, those things that are like on a hard date on the calendar, those are starting to get out of the way. Yeah. We've turned our paperwork in, in April and just now we have a caseworker who's reviewing them and going to start processing that. So from what I understand, that's not typical. Um, but they did say that we have to have our training classes for both foster licensing and Spalding, which is for adoption, finished before they can officially license us for adoption. So in theory, we haven't lost any time. We just feel slightly frustrated that, you know, we were ready to roll in April and I spent a lot of time in one little, you know, week trying to get all that pushed through and it was unnecessary. So a bit of advice there, don't rush on the paperwork if you haven't finished your classes because they're not going to probably start processing them anyway. And yeah, secondary piece of advice, follow up with that caseworker um, a lot. <laughs> and you know, maybe the True. new one will be a little bit more proactive, but um uh, you know, the other one we were working with, you got to you got to put yourself in their shoes, right? Um, again, she's no longer with the state. I don't know. I don't know why that is. Um, but these folks are overworked. They actually work other cases outside of adoption, so placement. So if they're having challenges there, obviously the the kid itself would take priority. Uh, so just kind of the nature of, of how their workloads laid out, you're not the number one priority. Um, but the one thing I will give a lot of credit for our first caseworker was she was very, very adamant that we could call or text and follow up and actually encouraged us to do that. And she would even stop by the house a couple of times. She did like late too, it was like six 30 or seven. So th this lady put some hours in for sure. Yeah. It's a great perspective. And just to give our listeners context. So we're recording this at the early part of October. So right before it drops. So when Emily mentioned April, you can month four to month 10, that's, six months in there that have passed. Uh, and then just for those that may not live in Missouri, Spalding is uh, the course that Missouri um, offers for those that want to pursue adoption through foster care. So you have to get licensed first as a foster family through, and Ben, the, the training still called STARS, right? For the foster license? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so you do STARS first, and then you do another series of training called Spalding. So I just wanted to put some context because I know different states have different terms, and it gets kind of 
wonky, but you're right in terms of in, in some ways, and this is parenting also, you have to kind of drive what you are aiming at. And so following up and being persistent, I remember my husband and I, when we got the like laundry list of you need to turn in your car insurance and get a physical. And it was like all these documents. I remember being like, I can totally do this. And so we got everything done and gave it to our social worker who at that time was a brand new licensing worker. Like we were one of our very first families to license and we gave her everything at the very beginning. And she was like, my boss said no one does this. And I was like, I didn't want to give you any excuse to lose any of my stuff. Like if you just got all of the stuff you needed at once, then you could just put it in a file. Right. That was exactly my mentality. And uh, like I said, I spent two days just charging through the paperwork and then Ben would read it, make sure it was right. And then he'd sign it and we moved on. And so my advice though, is definitely be organized and follow up, but don't make yourself crazy trying to get it done because it's going to take some time. So just maybe give yourself an item a week to complete and, you know, send it in a big batch later Back to that time boxing did we have to resubmit paper i feel like we had to resend yeah we had to resubmit all of our paperwork but <laughs> i had it did you save it? it tell me you saved it oh yeah, yeah. i had okay. it all in emails like it was all easy to send i just put it in an email and sent it with a list of everything that happened so the people that took over for our caseworker were very kind and said we're gonna we ha- they had three people on our file just to make sure that nothing was falling through the cracks. So they did everything right. And just this week, we got a new caseworker. So I feel like it's going in the right direction. It's very, very positive. And just to shed light to reiterate, Emily said that it does take like little steps at a time because there's like documentation you have to turn in. And then there's like per class, you have like a homework assignment. And then it sounds like you all have also got past this point where there is towards the end of the foster care license training, you're individually asked this I don't know five or seven page questionnaire which I feel like my own copy and then separately my husband's own copy they were 15 pages each typed whoa we did not have to do that (laughs) maybe that's like a step coming in the future because there's all these questions about like explain the relationship with your mother explain the relationship with your father and your siblings and things that you've experienced and yeah yeah. we did have to do a background document that explained our family but that was that was in the very beginning when we first applied so maybe that was just to get us ready for the foster class. But yes, we did have to write like where we went to school and you yeah, know, that one was long. All that kind of stuff. To your point, <laughs> it ended up being like 15 pages, I think, by the time it was done. Yeah. So there's a lot of typing and writing and editing. And yeah, so not to scare anyone off, but I, I love being honest about what's ahead. So if you're thinking about doing this and you're like, I didn't know there was stuff to write, there is, and you can do it and you're capable. So it's okay. You can do these okay. things. You can also just do like I set a time each day, like I'll do one hour a day where I'm going to work on the documentation and then I'm going to put it away so that you don't just feel completely overwhelmed. So smart. So how have your family and friends responded as you've shared the news that this is the path to adoption that you're taking? Everyone's been really positive and, you know, just excited that first of all, that we might end up with kids. I think everybody's kind of like, what's going on guys? So, um, you know, everybody's been really nice. Uh, there have been some people who have said things like, Oh man, kids in the system, they're messed up and tell terrible stories. And 
you know, none of those people have any experience with these kids. It's just, I heard from somebody who heard from somebody that this story happened. And so when we get those kind of responses, we just kind of brush it off because we've done our research. We've taken the classes. We've met people who have adopted through foster care and they have lovely children. So it's like, we don't, we don't give uh, power to those fearful stories, but mm. on the, you know, on the whole, everybody's been really sweet. And I even just had a friend yesterday say, it's hard to watch friends go through a hard thing like infertility or not being able to kind of move forward in the path they always thought that they might have, but it's so neat to see what's going to come out of this. So even though they can't necessarily help, they still wish the best for us and are giving us support when we need to talk or process things. And it sounds like they're seeing the silver lining too. That's beautiful. Yeah. Ben, anything you want to add? No, she, she hit the nail on the head. <laughs> I love your perspective, <laughs> Emily, of not giving like life to that fear because you're right. Like there, and you can mention anything in life, right? Like a very basic example. We could talk about grocery stores and I can tell you how the one time I went to the grocery store, I got a bad apple, right? But it's like, it okay. doesn't mean all the apples are bad. It just means... I had this one experience that wasn't great. Right. And so I I love that you guys are consciously choosing how you're framing the stories that you're hearing. Cause there there are good and great and wonderful stories about kids being adopted through foster care. And then there's some that are not. And so we don't have to give power and let the ones that aren't so great overpower our decisions to help kids that are waiting. And I think that part of your book, Marcy, where you talk about fears was actually really helpful because it helped me feel normal about having fears about the process. And then each time I had that come up, I was like, you know what? Other people go through this too. And so this is just part of learning a new system, a new way of doing things and a new path that you just haven't been on yet. So I appreciate that you put that in your book so that it made us feel normal as we kind of process through feelings that we were having. I, I'm like in tears as you say that to, um, know how that felt. Um, and I really appreciate that you felt validated and normal in that. And it's, it's interesting. One of the hardest parts about my audiobook is like the fear of complicated things is one of the longest words in dictionary. I didn't know how to say it. I'm like, I wrote it in my book. I can write things down. But when it came time to recording the audiobook, I was like, I have to figure out how to pronounce these words. <laughs> um, so I'm glad that 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 all actually was beneficial um, and resonated with you all. And that's that's absolutely beautiful. So how has the process of going through all of this compared to what you expected to be going through? Well, I know for me, I expected it to be, I guess I shouldn't have, but I expected it to be pretty organized with like firm deadlines and, you know, we would know what to expect. And it was it's not like that. So uh, having, being an organized person does help uh, as I, as we go through this and as I kind of keep records on everything, making sure that every paper is scanned, every deadline is noted, and then double checking three and four times on dates that we're supposed to be attending classes, things like that. Because like Ben mentioned earlier, our caseworker was very overwhelmed with just other things that she had going on. So she would forget that we were signed up for a class or Mm -hmm. that we should be signed up for a class. And so 
because they have a checklist that they give you in the beginning, I was able to go through and make sure that we were hitting on the right things. And then Ben would ask like, Hey, weren't we supposed to take a class or, you know, so we kind of tag teamed on what items we needed to be thinking about and following up on. Yeah, and it's it's like insert working with the government joke here, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> everybody, everybody has that perspective for some reason. But uh, well, half of my brain, you know, says this is a process that is, hasn't changed for a long time. It's been done with tons of people. It's repeatable. Um, there is a checklist, like Emily said, like, this isn't complicated stuff. Um, but then again, we're working with the government. So um, things become complicated pretty quick. And a lot of it, you know, organization on your side helps make up for maybe a, a lack of organization on the other side or, you know, somebody who may be overwhelmed over there. And some of the challenges we had, you know, coming from where we come from, Marcy, like I, I just don't have these issues at work. We just don't work this way. You know what I mean? But yeah. something as simple as, like last month, I was supposed to take first aid training. So I'm already CPR certified, right? So I only had to go to the first aid class. They gave the wrong date. You yeah. Know? So now I got to wait another month. Oh, you know? no. And this isn't the first time that's happened, by the way. You know, so so it's things like that. And you, you did everything you were supposed to. I got my checklist. I got my date. I'm going to be here on this date. And turns out, no, that's not the date I need to be there. They just gave me the wrong date. So so there's it has its ups and downs. Um there are challenges in there. You just, you know, keep working through them. Yeah. None of these challenges are big enough to not do it. Yeah. Is mm-hmm. that we've had that conversation before. Like, should we just quit? Like, should we just do something different? Because this is so frustrating at times. But then we were both thinking like, none of this is hard. It's just the, the waiting is hard and, you know, waiting on other people is harder. So mm. if you can just kind of manage your expectations and know this is going to take time. I really thought we'd have a kid by Christmas potentially. And that was untrue. <laughs> that was something I guess that I put in my mind and, you know, I had no way of knowing that we wouldn't or we would. It just was like a hope, I guess. And now, having gone through the process, I'm kind of glad that it is slow because it gives us time to process feelings, talk through things even more, and make sure that we're very comfortable with the path that we're going. So you've adjusted your your way to frame it, which is, is, is so true to Ben's point, like insert government joke here. Like there's there's a lot of change and sometimes not follow through. And I know, Ben, you and I before even this call, one of the things that I was trying to encourage, and this is something if I could like put anything out into the world to help people see this perspective is that between caring families like you two and this large group of 120,000 kids in our country who are craving for a forever family, right? Between you lovely people and these lovely children is this process that isn't smooth and it, and it sometimes can turn people off, right? Because it's like when you go to the store, you're typically buying from a place that's easy to shop with and you're buying the thing that's easy to get to. And when you're adopting through foster care, sometimes getting to these kids is so hard, um, but they're still waiting on the other end and, and they probably wish they could fix the process too, right? Because they're like, I just want to be with the family. And so um, I hope that listeners can hear that because you guys are telling the exact reality of what it's like. Like it's not a cakewalk and it's not like, sure, I just did this and then that and then boom here we are um but it sure takes a level of persistence and commitment that you ultimately want to help a child 
And I think it's important to note too, that the caseworkers really seem to care about these kids. It's not for lack of love on the caseworkers part. They all in giving the trainings and in talking with them, they deeply care about these kids and want the best for them. They just don't have the manpower and the hours in the day to get some of this stuff done when people like Ben and I expect it to be done. So it's, I would just say, hang in there. Um, be try, try to be encouraging to your caseworker because I think they get a lot of grief because of the process. I can only imagine, right? Like if there was a yeah. complaint department, I'm sure their box is full. Yeah. We had to hold our tongue multiple times and I'm so glad we did because our <laughs> caseworker was obviously struggling and I, I'm glad we didn't add to that, uh, mm. whatever was going on there. Mm, that's honest. Okay. So I feel like I have a listener that's probably like, Marcy, I want to know, like, how many kids are they thinking and what age ranges? Do you all feel comfortable sharing that? Sure. Um, you know, let's start out with one first. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so this is, this is funny you asked that because this is like the question that I get the most from, you know, random friends or whatever. And <laughs> like we were saying earlier about be flexible, it's, it, it's like, um, gosh, it's like a matrix, right? Like, obviously, you know, everybody wants a baby, right? Um, but that's that's not like the end all be all. And and there's no scenario here where like I want only a boy or only a girl or, uh, you know, like a 10 year old wouldn't be fine or something like that. It's you, you kind of know when you know or see when you see, I guess, is the best way to put that. So we haven't put tight constraints around that at all we're being open we're being flexible we're seeing what the future holds for us there um and when we get further along in the process you know more will be revealed and just from my perspective too like um you know you can look online and see waiting children and you know they have these sweet faces and it's a brother and sister and even like too early on reached out about a certain brother sister set and then realize like, okay, we have a lot to go through before we can even really get more information about these kids. And so I, of course, lean more toward wanting a baby. But as Ben said, you know, sometimes something else might pop up and be introduced to you that you didn't expect. And that's your perfect match. And so we want to keep our options open and just see where our future leads instead of pigeonholing ourselves. So on paper, we have said zero to 10 boy or girl siblings, potentially no more than two um, just because it seems overwhelming to try to take on more than two, but we want to, you know, if a situation presented itself, we want to be available to explore that. So good. I'll, I'll just uh, clarify for listeners because one of the biggest pieces of feedback I get on my book is Marcy, you didn't tell me how to adopt a baby. And I'm like, yeah, because in the foster care system, legally, when a child is born, they are still a ward of the state, even if they're taken from the hospital due to insert drug, you know, abuse of the bio parent, whatever the story is, right? And so it's, you can't go on a website like adoptuskids.org or any online profile site for children who are available to be adopted and see babies because number one, they are very quickly placed and number two, they aren't legally available to be adopted at birth unless you do a private adoption. So I just want to clarify for our listeners. They're like, well, I'm going to go do that. I'm like, you can do it. Like, it's possible. Ben and Emily 
could end up with a little baby who was just born that is put into their care and they walk out the legal process of that. And around age two, they go to court and everything's finalized. But um, there aren't just a list of babies waiting right. through the foster care system. So I love that you all are open-minded. That's, that's great. And I chuckled and you were like, I found this little boy and girl. I'm like, I got, I adopted a sibling set too. So <laughs> who knows? You never know. My husband was on the, the adoption of one journey, but we could do it twice. And I was like, why would we do this twice? Like, let's just. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel. Yeah. If we could get to it once, let's do that. And then they already know each other. They do. So. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like my kids, especially because they're like a grade level apart and they've, they've been through everything together. And it's so sweet. Like, I remember when my kids first moved in, my son was able to talk and my daughter was like in a mumble stage and so he was kind of her translator and it's like this sweet little relationship they have because they've grown up together so who knows who knows what your future that's holds really cool yeah that's really neat so this next question Emily you kind of shared earlier about the usefulness of identifying what fears are in this process that I explained in my book the forgotten adoption option but was there anything else and that content that you all found especially helpful as you applied and now that you're going through the licensing process? I used your book as a checklist for making um, making sure that we were getting all of our steps covered. So anytime I had questions about what the caseworker told us, I went back to your book and said, is this what Marcy said? Because... <laughs> Uh, I, we've gotten so many different stories from different people. So Foster Adopt Coalition has been a great resource. And I believe you mentioned that in your book. And then also you have the um, the different forms that you're going to have to fill out and why you have to do this and what it looks like when you finally do get some kids that you're interested in and how the staffing looks um, for when, how they decide parents and things like that. So there are many nights that we sat over dinner saying like, well, Marcy's book said that the staffing <laughs> looks like this. So we can kind of expect that. And so it really just helps set our expectations and give us a guide for what what's going to happen next. It is so rewarding to hear how this is unfolding, because when I wrote the book, I wrote it to people that were just like you. In fact, my neighbor had asked about how to go through the process. So I was like, I'll just write it to my neighbor who can ask me the questions about what words I'm using and making sure I'm, I'm making it easy to understand. And I validated it with several social worker friends to say, Hey, I'm describing it like this as like someone that's a mom, not someone that's in this field. And so I'm so thankful that you're using it just as intended because I used to sit down with people for a couple of hours and they would be overwhelmed and they didn't have anything to reference. So I love that you all were able to flip back through and go through what you needed because there, there's so many steps. And so well, and, this, and we noticed that the tone was conversational, so it didn't feel so, I guess, overwhelming as you read it through your words as it does when you read it on a Division of Children's Services website where it just sounds cold and, you know, sterile. So, and just kind of scary. So, you know, having your friend talking through the, the process with you really makes it like, I could do that. So we kind of saw it as like an essential guide to any, for any person that's going to go through this. I'm glad that I could make a form sound warm and fuzzy instead of cold. <laughs> that's so good. That's so good. Then I heard you whisper scary in the background. Was there anything else you wanted to share about this? No, it's uh, legalistic. She was talking about the, the wording 
on the website and stuff like that and shoots sure. at scary and you know legalistic but to your point ahead is is cold and super formal and i get it but it, it can be daunting if that's the only the only lens at which you're looking at this stuff through yeah the word inviting doesn't always come to mind when i think of like an online form right i'm like sometimes like survey monkey kind of has that feel but sometimes like a pdf is like okay thank you like right yeah we'll just you know the whole when you look at it online and you you know from the children's services and it says like you do this this and this and then you're licensed and it sounds simple but it also sounds like something's missing and so you filled in all of the parts that were missing but made it seem doable so because there are many parts that's like yeah my husband always laughs at that because he's like I think people just need to know their 56 steps and then they'll just go do them like if, if we just explain it exactly. that there are pieces <laughs> right so long so okay this is a specific kind of wrapping up question I'm wondering so let's say someone's listening that they're you earlier in the year before you ever signed up to get licensed and now that you know where you are in the journey, what do you think you would tell yourself at kind of the thinking about it stage that might be encouraging? I would say be ready to feel a lot of feelings. Um, I don't think Ben had this issue as much just because he's wired differently, but I have felt every feeling under the sun since April, you know, scared grieving, you know, the, the loss of potentially having your own child. Um, so dealing with the infertility piece, dealing with friends who easily get pregnant and you have to see that while you're having to jump through hoops to get a baby or an older child and trying not to compare yourself because your journey is different. And so just knowing that it's okay to process feelings and, you know, that doesn't mean that you're making the wrong decision or that, you know, you should turn back and do something different. It just means that you're a normal person and this is a huge decision. This is the rest of your life and you want to be prepared and you want to think through everything. And so just take the time. Don't rush it. It's going to take some time. It's going to be ups and downs, but you're in this together. And at the end of at the end of the process, it's going to be worth it when you're able to bring those kids home and give them the loving home that they're looking for. Keeping your eye on what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And right. walking through those feelings. That's great, Emily. How about you, Ben? What would you tell Ben earlier in the year who hadn't signed up yet? Skip all this and buy a boat instead. Um, <laughs> Somebody's going to listen and laugh, hopefully, and not be like, all right, see, honey, I told you. <laughs> right, I know. That's for all you guys out there. Um, no, it's, it's uh, yeah. So, again, like, we we work a certain way. This You know, I'm wired a certain way. So I, I have expectations when I'm doing business with somebody, which is what I considered this to be, although I guess it's not. Uh, so I, I would probably re- tell myself to relax my expectations. Do do continue to drive and follow up and hold people accountable. But, um, you know, me back then didn't realize like what that job was like for the person on the other side of the phone. Um, that that definitely having that information would have would have changed my approach 
early on for sure. So patience, which I don't have a ton of, you know, <laughs> for, for doing business, um, be back to the expectations thing, but this is, this is one of those processes where you really just need to, need to kind of go with the flow. Yeah. Drive. Yeah. Follow up, but, but be flexible and be fluid, be like water, you know? I think you have to just kind of go where the road is taking you. And that's something that we've learned. Like, you know, there's going to be bumps in the road, but it's still leading you in a certain direction. So just stay the course and try not to get too frustrated in the meantime, because it will pay off. It's just when you're heads down, taking one step at a time, it feels like a lot. Yeah, we had a, because we got our paperwork submitted so early, you know, we even got some feedback from other, other case where well, you guys should have been in classes in June. Well, we weren't, why weren't we in classes? And then again, next, well, you guys should have been in classes in July. Well, we didn't get in those either. What the heck's going on? Uh, and it can feel like the process isn't moving. Um, or it's almost it, working against you, right? Where you're like, how do we get right. overlooked? It did feel like that. Yeah, it did. There was, a, there was a night here where we were just, almost ready to fire these people and move on to something. <laughs> I'm completely honest with you. It was the words yeah. I used. Like, we should fire these people and move on to something else. But looking back, the process was moving. It, it just wasn't moving like I thought it would. So, yeah. It's kind of like a glacial pace. You know, a glacier moves so slowly every year and eventually it reaches the ocean or whatever. That's what this feels like. <laughs> and you can't make it go faster. You can help it along. You just can't make it go faster. So one note about the classes that he mentioned was um, make sure that you get into and press on the caseworker for the classes that are coming up because they only offer them certain times a year. And if you miss them, you have to wait several months. So early get into those classes and get those out of the way if you can. Right. Because you got to finish the classes in order to get licensed and you got to get licensed in order to have kids. So, right. So the, the order of things is important. It is. I love the just ripeness of where you all are. And I'm, um, I know it has not at all been the easiest thing to follow and to go where you think you're supposed to be going and it, for it not to go smoothly. But I think the reality check that you guys have shared with folks that you're like, we're in it because we care and we feel called to do this. And the process is a glacier, like you said. And so I think that's, that's great. Like people can understand like, okay, this is how you train for this. And this is how you go through this. Like if you were, you know, training for a long Ironman event or whatever the thing is, like, you're going to have sore spots, you know, where your body's achy because you've had to train and do things. And it's the same sort of thing. It sounds like where Ben was saying, okay, I am not a patient person. Like you're going to go through different things or feel different emotions. And I think there's such high value that our listeners have gained from both of you sharing just candidly what you're going through and how it's going. And so I am so excited that you all are on this path and I know the future is unknown, but I am so excited to celebrate with you on whatever that looks like. Well, thanks, Marcy. It's been really helpful just to talk through things with you. And, um, and like I said before, your book was so helpful. So thank you for taking the time to put that together to help people like us, because without it, I really feel like we would have been lost. 
As a listener of the Forgotten Adoption Option podcast, you are helping raise awareness about foster care adoption and the 120,000 children who are waiting for a forever family. You can also help raise awareness by leaving a review, subscribing, sharing, talking about, and liking this podcast. If you'd like more information on adopting a child or sibling set through the foster care system, visit my website, ForgottenAdoptionOption.com. There you will find out how to get started, and you can even order a copy of my book, The Forgotten Adoption Option, which will guide you through the entire process, and it is available in paperback, audio, and ebook. I welcome you to reach out with questions, comments, and your own story. I would love to hear if you're signing up for training or where you are in the adoption process. You can connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Just search for Marcy Bursack. Thank you for tuning in, caring, and sharing, because every child deserves a family.